Blaine here with our monthly shout out to the Patreon supporters. I'd like to give a shout out to Lex Pendragon. He has purchased the Movie Talk with Blaine and Trey reward. The rewards that are still available include the shout outs and recognition on the Bureau 42 patrons page, access to planning spreadsheets and ways navigation voice, as well as some exclusive content. The limited quantity rewards that are still available are to choose a book for Bedtime in the Public Domain, to join a podcast about any of these topics with myself, with the exception of 99 Years 100 Films. That was a separate reward, as well as options to read a book yourself for Bedtime in the Public Domain and to pick an old-time radio title to follow I guess Duffy's Tavern, which is the next title in sequence. So once again, thanks to Lex Pendragon. And feel free to check out our Patreon page. You should see a link right in your podcast feed to figure out if you are also interested in supporting us and obtaining one of these rewards. Thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 212 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we are looking at Season 9, Episode 8, Hellbound. The original air date was January 27th, 2002. The average IMDb user score is 7.3 out of 10. This was directed by Kim Manners, who we've heard a lot of and we'll hear more from again. And it was written by David Aman. Now, Aman has credit on writing seven episodes of The X-Files. This is his sixth, so he only has one more coming. So in this episode, we meet a support group for ex-convicts. And some of them are getting a lot out of the group. Others are saying it's pointless. We are hellbound. We've only got one future in front of us because of the crimes we've already committed. And one of them mentions that he's been having bad dreams about seeing people skinned alive. And shortly thereafter, he is skinned alive with some pretty fair expertise. Scully actually mentions that whoever did it was very careful to leave the veins and arteries alive to increase the pain and torture and drag it out as long as they can. Now, when she gets someone from the Bureau to pull up past records, they do include a case from the 1960s, which is virtually identical. Scully goes to talk to that coroner and finds out it was just the first in a series of deaths. Now, this entire time, Reyes has been the one that's getting the ball rolling, getting the team involved, and Scully and Doggett aren't exactly clear why this is an X-File. And when Scully finds these past ones, she finds that the current victims, because they start piling up, all died, or these, sorry, the current victims were all born on the days the previous victims died, which... Reyes and Scully take as evidence of the supernatural. Doggett takes it as evidence of a very clever serial killer who is not selecting his victims at random, but is selecting them specifically for these purposes. As things continue and they progress, 
We find that Reyes cannot explain why she feels so compelled to get involved and to solve this case. They do ultimately find that it's actually a local detective who is the killer. And there's a cycle every 41 years, starting in the 1860s, where there are a string of deaths like these, starting with one man who was killed by others in a dispute over mine ownership. And it's the man who was killed getting resurrected and killing his killers over and over and over again, usually becoming a law enforcement officer and committing suicide to restart the cycle. In this case, he tells Reyes, you never stop it. You always try and you always fail. Although here she did keep the fourth and final victim alive. So we don't know if that cycle is broken. We do know that the detective who was doing it has been killed. Not quite suicide. He was killed by the police officers on scene in defense of innocent lives, but he's still dead. So it's not clear about whether the cycle is going to start up again in 41 years, or at least it wouldn't be clear if we hadn't zoomed in on that detective's eye and then zoomed out on the eye of a newborn baby. So it does strongly imply that the cycle is going to continue. So this one has some really moody effects and great scenes. Once again, Reyes is part of the supernatural element in the story. And again, I I don't prefer that kind of story. I want the world of the X-Files to be as close to our world as allowed. So I don't mind the agents getting called across the country to investigate the occasional strange happening, but when they become an integral part of it for anything other than the targeted conspiracy, where the people they've annoyed have reason to target them, if that's happening to them on a regular basis, then it starts to feel like these supernatural elements are far too commonplace for the general public to be disregarding them and still be disbelieving them. So I, I do prefer it when they are not directly involved unless it is part of the ongoing conspiracy. And it feels like with Reyes, she's got this sort of psychic element coming up over and over. And another issue I've been thinking about it with this whole thing, it still feels like they haven't quite defined Reyes. There is a moniker in writing, show, don't tell. Sometimes you have to do exposition, but generally speaking, your writing is more engaging if you show what you're trying to reveal rather than have some character just lecture. And it feels like they are telling us about Reyes, but they're not showing us about Reyes. So we're learning more of her background. We are learning that she was born and raised in Mexico, for example, as we learned in the previous episode. But at this stage... Halfway through season one, I think we had a fairly good handle on predicting how either Mulder or Scully would react in a given situation. By the time we were eight episodes into season eight, I felt I had some grip on Doggett and could predict some of his actions. I still don't feel like we understand Reyes' thought processes well enough to predict her actions. Too many of her choices seem to be because of outside influence or just standard operating procedure. So I feel like they still haven't quite told us who, or shown us rather, who Reyes really is. There are some notable members of the guest cast in this episode. Probably the most recognizable is Don Swayze. Yes, he is Patrick's brother. He's got 107 acting credits to his name. He is still active today. He is best known for his work in Evasive Action, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, Drop Zone, and Passenger. Now, James McDonnell has 52 acting credits to his name, primarily up to and including 2011. He's got one 
credit for additional voices in Fallout 4 from 2015, but given how long it takes a lot of video games to come out, he may have recorded those in more like 2012 or 13. His four credits under the IMDb Best Known are for Wedding Crashers, for Detective Van Allen in this episode of The X-Files, Dr. Crane as a recurring role in Desperate Housewives, and James Kent as a recurring role in Bones. Now, Cyril O'Reilly has 67 acting credits to his name, most recently in 2007. He is best known for his work as Tim in Porky's, a soldier in Airplane, a detective sergeant in Hunter, and a character named Rexer in the movie Navy Seals. Here he plays Ed Kelso, who is an early suspect, but turns out to be a potential victim. Now, Katie Boyer has 46 acting credits to her name, most recently 2013. She is best known for her work in Minority Report, The Island, Lost World Jurassic Park, and People Like Us. She plays Dr. Lisa Holland here, and this is her only X-Files credit. Now, George Wallace has a very lengthy career with 231 credits to his name. Now, he passed away in 2005, so most of his credits are 2004 or earlier. He does have a credit for the Forsaken Westerns, but that sounds more like they were recycling old footage, which is why he's got another credit in 2018. Here he plays Bertram Mueller, so that's the old coroner that Scully goes to. Now, while some of our listeners would know him as the old man in Hell's Bells, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the IMDb says he's best known for his work in Forbidden Planet, Radar Men from the Moon, Minority Report, and the Towering Inferno, so no shortage of characters that he would be known for. Kari Whitman has 27 acting credits to her name. She plays Roxanne here in Hellbound, her most recent credits from 2004. She is best known for this role, Jennifer in Master Blaster, Melissa Wheaton in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and for playing a Playboy model in Beverly Hills Cop 2. She was probably cast as that Playboy model in Beverly Hills Cop 2, because she actually was a Playboy model. If you've seen Beverly Hills Cop 2, there is a sequence at Hugh Hefner's mansion, and or the Playboy mansion, I should say, and they had a bunch of actual Playboy bunnies in those scenes. Now, David Figlioni plays the first victim that we have in this. He's got 62 acting credits to his name. Most recently, he's got three in 2020, which is when this is being recorded. So certainly still active today. He is best known for his work in Murder in the First, Time Lapse, Special Unit, and Rock Monster. And finally, Robert Beckwith makes his second of three appearances as FBI cadet in this season of The X-Files. We previously discussed his work when he first showed up in Diamonicus. We will see him again in Scary Monsters. So that's about all we have to say about Hellbound. It wasn't interesting story. I just wish that instead of having a very vague and untraceable connection for Reyes, who actually seems a bit too young to be connected with these guys, they would have had a better reason to have the team on the X-Files. It just doesn't feel like it's justified to have them involved, particularly since all the other characters are born in 1960, whereas we don't have Reyes's birth date yet, but actress Annabeth Gish was born in 1971. So that does sort of separate her from this peer group. Now, that could be because the police officer who fails to find them always survives the hunt, 
so then they'll be younger in the next cycle as they live a little bit longer, but it it still just doesn't quite work for me. I think that's the main hit. If they had another reason for them to be involved, even just falling on the standard trope where the X-Files filing cabinets already knew about the sequences of murders. I feel as though in the first two seasons, this would have been a slideshow where Mulder talked about the killings in 68, the killings in 1909, and then the killings in 1960, and that would have gotten them involved. And that would have been sufficient cause to get them in here. It just would have meant more exposition, less discovery, and then they would have to find some other way to fill out the episode. So yeah, while that doesn't work on the story standpoint, I haven't yet and should call out the fantastic job done by the makeup team on the prosthetics involved in showing these people skinned alive. That was disturbingly well done. In any event, that's everything we have to say about Hellbound. Join us again in two weeks' time when we talk about the next two-parter, Providence and Prominence. Thank you for listening.